Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. What it speaks of us is believers. It's what you put your trust in. It's where you get your identity from. We aren't just Christians, we're believers. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We take on his name. If you look around you and see healthy family, nice house, good car, good job and a solid bank account, you can be tempted to think, I'm okay. But when we have little or no control over any of these things continuing, it's a false confidence we live in. The people of Judah in the Old Testament were falsely confident. They were living in the valley of smugness. It's not good. Let's join Dr. Corbett to find out why. Come with me now to Jeremiah, and we're going to be in chapter 21. We're going to be looking from verses 11 down to verse 14. As we look at this section in Jeremiah, he's going to rebuke a particular house. We're not used to using the term house in our vernacular. We think it means something like four walls and a roof. To the Hebrew, a house was your identity, who you belong to. It spoke of your ancestors. You could speak of your descendants belonging to your house. That house carried with it a name. And we've seen in Second Samuel that God spoke to David and said, I will build you a house and I will give you a great name. And he has certainly done that. But one of the things I want to point out is that in a moment, in a moment, David nearly lost it all. It was a moment when he was looking out his window. Just a moment. He nearly destroyed it all. As it turns out, he greatly sabotaged what God wanted to do. The house that he ended up with was not the house that it could have been. The name that he ended up with is not the name he could have had. And we are a part of a house, and that's what I want to show you in a moment, that the New Testament describes the church as the house of Jesus. The house of Jesus. And Jeremiah is going to be speaking in this section to the house of David. The house of David. And he's going to be rebuking them because they've come into what we might call a valley lifestyle. You know, valleys are lush. We live in one. They're lush. They're beautiful. It's where things flourish. The soil is more fertile in a valley. It's, it's easier in a valley. And the house of David had settled in a valley, in a city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a, a hill, it's Mount Zion, and, and around it, are surround, it's surrounded by seven other hills. Between those hills and Jerusalem, Mount Zion in the middle, there's a valley. It's surrounded by a valley. It's a valley city right there in the valley. And there's something about having every one of your needs met. As Russell said, I thought that was a, a brilliant communion, Russell, that when you have everything you want, do you really recognise what you need? Do you recognise what you need? Or 
more appropriately, who you need. And there is a problem with having everything you want granted. But here's these people in this house. And we're calling this the valley of smugness. The valley of smugness. They become smug. In fact, at one point in this section, they had become so content to live in their walled city in the middle of this valley. They'd built so many houses out of cedar from Lebanon that Jeremiah is going to say they didn't live in houses. They lived in a forest. There was just so many wooden houses there. They were so comfortable, so comfortable. They no longer sought God like they should. They no longer had a heart after God like they needed. And I look at that and go, isn't that the church generally today? It's like Christianity is just a box on the census. Christian, oh, yeah, I'm one of them. Tick. As I shared with the leaders last night, in America, they're experiencing a similar decline in church attendance and those advocating or saying that they're Christians. And yet, in America, Bible sales over the last three years have gone up $300 million per year. $960 million worth of Bibles were sold in America last year. The problem is they're not reading them. They're treating Bibles like software agreements. You ever downloaded software? You get the agreement, reams of whatever, just I agree. You know, I never read one of those software agreements. And people are treating the Bible just like that. The Bible, I agree. Read it. $960 million of Bibles sold last year. And yet when surveyed, 47% of Americans could not name the first book of the Bible. They couldn't tell you the first four books of the New Testament. Here's Jeremiah talking to the same problem. Smugness. Jeremiah, don't tell us what to do. We're we're David's descendants. Who are you? We're We're the descendants of David. We're the privileged class. We're royalty. The valley of smugness. Jeremiah chapter 21 verse 11. Note this opening verse here. And to the house of the king of Judah. The house of the king of Judah. Whose house was it? You could think, well, it's, 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 sure, it's Zedekiah, surely. He's talking to King Zedekiah. We just saw that in the, few, the start of that chapter. Zedekiah sends emissary. This is the house of David. The house of David. What does it take to build a house? What does it take to have your children say, I want to serve your God. I want to follow your God. I want to make your God my God. And I want to make that God known. What does it take? I've mentioned to you that at this time, there was a young boy listening to Jeremiah, not much younger than Jeremiah. And Jeremiah would have been perhaps early, very early 20s when he's prophesying this courageous young man. 
And I've got some things to say to some of the young men this morning. And just a bit younger than him, perhaps 14, 15, 16 years of age, was Daniel. And Daniel was listening to Jeremiah. And Daniel got this. Probably when Daniel was taken to Babylon, and, and we'll be doing a little series on Daniel in a, in a few months, because it dovetails in with this period. Daniel went there and the king offered him everything. And because it would have robbed him of his relationship with God, he said no to it all. No to it all. How do you raise a kid like that? We need to understand that the job here, particularly for us in Tasmania, is that we build houses. And I'm not talking about lumber and mortar. I'm talking about identity. Identity that says, I love Jesus. That, you know, when that 18-year-old gifted singer was offered a record contract by RCA, it would have been in, in today's terms worth millions of dollars and yet it would have meant that he would have had to stop singing in the church choir. It would have meant that he couldn't sing and lead worship. It would have meant that he would have spent time away from his church and time away from his home. And, and his mother was, was so happy for him, but yet deeply concerned. And one night as she was praying about this opportunity for her son, she wrote a poem down. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than fame untold. I'd rather have Jesus. And George Beverly Shea, 18 years of age, came into the lounge room that morning on the piano with the words to this song. He read it, sat down at the piano and just played the melody first go and sang it in church that morning. George Beverly Shea just turned 100 and he sang it in Amsterdam not that long ago, aged 100. Somebody from the age of 18. And God got him. And he gave his heart to Jesus even though he'd gone to church all his life. He got it. Oh God, give us young men like that. Young men like Jeremiah, young men like Daniel, say to the house of the king of Judah, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 2, O house of David, see it's David's house, house of David, thus says the Lord, execute justice in the morning, deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, lest my words go forth like fire, and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Oh, man. These people belonged to a house. They had an identity. They were under a name, and yet they weren't living up to that name. Their actions betrayed the name. Their actions were not the actions of somebody who belonged to that house. And Jeremiah says, hear the word of the Lord. God will send his word to you. 
and his word will burn you and nothing will quench it because you bear a name. You bear a name. You're a part of a house. What does it mean to belong to a house? We saw the the video on responsibility. We bear a responsibility to a name. Do you get that? We bear a responsibility to a house. The word Christian is used, what, two or three times in the New Testament. The expression that it speaks of when it speaks of us is believers. It's used hundreds of times. Believers, and we think mental ascent, tick. No, it means it's what you, it's what you put your trust in. It's where you get your identity from. We aren't just Christians, we're believers. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We take on his name. When two people under the old covenant time formed a covenant, you know what they'd do? They'd meet together, let's agree on something. Let's. And we see this, what is it, um, Genesis 32, where Jacob forms a covenant with Laban. It's a classic covenant, and I think it's in Scripture to show us the elements of a covenant. And we have these two people coming together. Let us agree. Yes, let us agree. So what do they do? The first thing they have to do is, is sacrifice an animal to have a meal. The meal is really important. And they take that animal, they both put their hands on it. And then someone officiating the covenant takes an implement and slays that animal as the blood splatters. The words are, either of us break this covenant, so let this be done to us. And with that, they make an incision, a mark in their body. They unite that mark they carry with them for the rest of their lives. That animal is roasted. It's eaten. They break bread. Bread, very strategic in the forming of a covenant. Then they pronounce these words, let your enemies be my enemies. My enemies, your enemies. Whatever I have is now yours. Whatever you have is now mine. I take your name. You take my name. That's why when God and Abram formed a covenant, um, God, Yah. That's the name of God, Y-A-H in Hebrew, Yah, Yahweh, Yah. And Abram, their names merged. God became known as the God of Abraham. Abram became Abraham, the name of God inserted right in the middle of it. Their names merged. You take on a name when you form a covenant. And here we see the elements of the covenant. It brings you into a house. When we celebrate communion, we're breaking bread. We're doing it in the name of Jesus. We're doing it because we're a house. Jesus has declared, everything that is mine is yours. Your enemies are my enemies. Your problems are my problems. And we just thought it was bread and wine. It's covenant. And we're reminding ourselves of the covenant. And here Jeremiah is pleading with Zedekiah and his family. You belong to a house. You bear a name. Live up to it. Do what is right. It's your identity. There is a responsibility to bear a name. We come back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 21. Verse 13. Behold, I am against you, 
O inhabitants of the valley. O rock of the plains, declares the Lord, who shall say? You who say, sorry, who shall come down against us? Or who shall enter our habitations? You hear the arrogance? We're in a valley. We're smug. We're doing okay. No one will ever come against us. I don't want to be like that. I'm confident that Jesus will rule. I'm confident that Jesus' church will triumph. I'm confident about that. But I don't want to be arrogant about it. I don't want to be smug about it. I don't want to think. We don't have to evangelise. We don't have to humble ourselves. We don't have to do the first word of the Great Commission. Go. We can just open up our doors and those sinners have got any courtesy, they'll come to us. And jolly well get saved. Tell me what's not arrogant about that. It's all arrogant. We, we are in a valley, literally, and it's a beautiful place. The number of times I go out walking in the morning and I just go, man, people pay money to holiday in places like this. I live here. This is awesome. I, I, I was going to say I love watching documentaries of people who climb mountains. And I know, uh, Justin, you're about to do, Mount, was it, is it called Mount Kilimanjaro or is it just Kilimanjaro? Mount Kilimanjaro the highest uh, walking track mountain in the world. Is that right? Highest freestanding mountain. You're off in uh, about six weeks, seven weeks? Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll be thinking of you. (laughs) And uh, I see these things of people who climb mountains and and they come back and not that this will happen in Kilimanjaro, don't take this as a word of the Lord, but, you know, fingers frostbitten off and toes frostbitten off and... One bloke I saw broke his leg in two places. He had to, you know, come back down the mountain. And the dude says it was worth it. <laughs> Thinking, you are having me on. I don't know. I, I have, you know, I only have two allergies. One is to uh, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> only because uh, they taste horrible. And the other one is to pain. And they're my only two. And... <laughs> And mountain climbing strikes me as one of those two. It's not comfortable. When you're in a valley, it's comfortable. How many of us are in a spiritual valley? How many of us are just going through the motions? We've forgotten we bear a name. We've forgotten we're a part of a house. And the Lord would say, stir up the fire that is in you, that was given to you through the laying on of hands. Stir it up. And we forget. Name, house. Verse 14. I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in your forest, and it shall devour all that is around you. Then we read that and go, forest. Yeah, he's talking about their houses, their Timber-panelled houses. You ever been to some parts of northern Africa in the Middle East? Timber-panelled houses are not the common thing. Dung and straw-walled houses are, or tents even. 
timber panelled. So many of them, the prophet says, you guys live in a forest. In other words, you are so comfortable. You've forgotten about God. You've forgotten about the name you bear. You've forgotten what it is to fight. You see, an enemy was about to come against them and they were not turning to God for help. They were saying the enemy won't ever be able to touch us. We're we're the royal house of David. We have a name. And, and, And God, we read it in 2 Samuel 7. This name, this house shall be established forever. No enemy will ever overtake us. We don't need to fight. We'll be right. And there are some men here that have become lazy. And you've forgotten how to fight. And there are some men here that need to fight. The fight. For your family, for your name, for your house. These people had it. What did they do with Jeremiah's warnings? Well, any warning, you know, when times are good, any warning's ignored. People, people make warnings to people who are enjoying good times and they're always dismissed. Warnings in good times are ignored. What did they do with Jeremiah's warnings? They ignored them, completely ignored them. That's not humility. So here's my question. If you hear the word of the Lord warning you, and I know that there are people who've read the Bible like a software agreement, and they've heard somebody say, that software agreement says that Jesus will never do anything rough on his people. (laughs) He'll never do that. I'm going, oh, really? (laughs) Well, I've been following him and he's been pretty rough with me at times. For my good. And I read his letter to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And I go, wow. This is a Jesus that loves his name. He loves his house. He's really serious about this stuff. And of those churches, only one of those seven churches heeded the warning that John gave. One of them. And that was Ephesus. And that church survived for the next six centuries. The others didn't. What are we going to do? We hear the word of the Lord. We hear the warning of God. The New Testament in Ephesians says this to the church at Ephesus. This was said to them by Paul. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God. How did that slip into the New Testament? The wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. We we want to heed the warning and go, God, we want to give you pleasure. We want to honour your name. We want to be a part of the house that you're building. So, the New Testament describes the church of God as being Christ's house. And here's my question for you. Because God wants to establish some of you as pillars in his house. Pillars. A pillar is an influential part of a house. It holds that house up. A pillar. A strength. 
influence. Rock solid. A pillar. Paul describes pillars in the house of God in Galatians. Are we going to be pillars in the house of God? Are you in a valley of comfort and smugness spiritually? Let's pray. Father, do something in me. Oh God, oh God, please Lord, help me to be a pastor who loves you with an uncomfortable passion. Oh God, I pray for my life to reflect your name and your house well. I pray for my family to reflect your name and your house well. I pray for us as a church to reflect your name and your house well. Lord, I pray for every young man here now. Those young men in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s who have stopped fighting. They have allowed uncomfort to dictate the spiritual climate of their life or even comfort to dictate the spiritual climate. Lord, I pray that you would provoke the young men, the men of this church to become warriors, people who are utterly dependent upon you, people who know how to build a name, be a part of a house. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for this church to have warrior, spiritual warrior men who can stand up and be pillars of strength and defense and to take the kingdom of God, the house of God, the name of God into the second, third and fourth generation for the sake of Jesus, for his glory, because Jesus is the capital S, son of David. He alone bore the name of David and fulfilled all the prophecies of God to David. And we now are a part of that house, that royal priesthood, that royal house. And Lord, help us to be the kind of people you want us to be. I ask now, if you're here right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered to Jesus, you're running, but you're not running to him. Now today, you recognize you need to stop. You need to turn around and you need to say, Jesus, I want to come to you. I don't know if you'll accept me, but I want to come to you. And the good news is that he will never cast you out. He will always accept you. If that is your prayer, you are one prayer away from peace with God. One prayer away from a new identity, a new name and becoming a part of a house that God is building. A prayer that says, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to live for you. I want to be the person you want me to be. I pray. Amen. Living in the valley of smugness is living with false confidence. We've all done it, but it's worth checking to make sure our lives aren't characterised by it. More from Dr Corbett next week. 
podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Valley of Smugness, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.